again, I think you can see uh, from this passage of Scripture, as we get to verses 15 and 16, what we see very clearly, as I said before, is Peter is enlisting the Apostle Paul to confirm the things that he's already written to us about. Again, enlisting the Apostle Paul to confirm those things. And I think this is very interesting to observe on a number of, of fronts. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I'm going, to, I'm going to ask for your patience with me today, because what I want to do is I want to preach this passage of Scripture in one sense from two perspectives. <laughs> Not an easy thing to do, but I want to give it a shot here if you'll allow me. And the two perspectives are essentially this. Number one, I want to keep our feet grounded as firmly as possible in the context of the passage of Scripture before us. The context in the passage of Scripture is the Apostle Peter and his wonder at God's long-suffering and his conviction of Christ's return and glory. These are the things that we see. This is really where Peter's, <clears throat> where Peter's feet are planted, so to speak. And he's only bringing in the testimony of the Apostle Paul in order to make that case. But the second thing I want to do today, and I want to ask you to follow me through, is I want you to see how that Peter, in doing this, lays out before us, not by way of his primary intention, but by way of our applying what Peter is doing here, Peter shows us a right and proper use of the Word of God. He gives to us how the godly make use of Scripture. But he also shows us how the ungodly misuse Scripture. And so what we're going to do in this passage of Scripture today, not only as we keep our feet firmly planted in the context, we're going to see, number one, the nature of Scripture and the godly use of Scripture. And then, number two, the nature of Scripture and the ungodly use of Scripture. So by God's grace, that's what we're going to uh, work through here today. Well, again, as I said before, we've, we've seen already in this passage of Scripture how that Peter is really taken up with this idea of the long-suffering of God. This is a wonderful attribute of God. Over and over in the Scripture we see this. This is set forth before the people of God in order that we might, again, be found uh, adoring God for who and what He is. And I want to remind you of this even as you come in contact with your unsaved friends. You know and you understand that there are times when we must be very firm in one sense, very stern in another sense, very much forthright with what the gospel calls sinners to. The reality that God will judge the wicked. Peter doesn't move away from this. Peter's not, if I can put it this way, a one-dimensional preacher. He's not, again, just focusing on the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. He is reminding his readers and us that the day of the Lord shall come when Jesus Christ shall judge the living and the dead. And all those who have done wickedly shall perish eternally. The scripture never moves away from that. But by the same token, what we see in this passage of scripture is this wonderful setting forth of the grace of God. And I think it's very interesting by way of an observation. And I, I'm going to say this with a little bit of caution. I've not proven this out fully. But I think it's interesting that by way of observation, what we often see in the scripture is this. When man is observing God, oftentimes man sees God in the more glorious attributes of his justice and his holiness. So that there is something in the nature of God that takes us aback. But oftentimes, very oftentimes, when God makes himself known, he makes himself known by way of those attributes that are most appealing to us. Those attributes that draw out love for God. Those attributes that show God's mercy to sinners. And it's something by way of an observation. As I said before, I haven't proven it out fully, but I've seen this a number of times. 
where we see again there is the vision of Isaiah and the angels are saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And then we see in another passage of Scripture like Exodus 34 where God makes makes himself known in those most generous and in those most compassionate uh, attributes that we see in Scripture. So it's a wonderful thing to see. And again, Peter's taken up with this idea, as I said before. Stop and think of this again. I know I'm I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but stop and think of this again. What is God's long-suffering? God's long-suffering is His patience in the face of provocation. Sinners provoking God. Okay, sinners provoking God. What about us? What about when we provoke God? You see, God's long-suffering is toward us as well. God's long-suffering not only in bringing sinners to salvation, but God's long-suffering in seeing sanctification work within his people. Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering toward his church? Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering to each and every one of us in his church? Aren't you glad, again, that these are the things that Peter is taking up here? And so what Peter does now at this point is that he, again, brings in, in one sense, the whole range of biblical testimony. He's already spoken about what the prophets have said in the past. Now he enlists the Apostle Paul as a biblical or scriptural witness for what he's saying. Peter, in this sense, is laying out for us the things that those of us, who, those of you, those of us who study scripture are very much familiar with. There's an idea, there's a truth in the scripture that we see. And what do we do? We try to understand it within its immediate context. And what else do we do? We look throughout the scripture to find what other places in the scripture speak about these things. That's what Peter is doing. He is enlisting another biblical writer to to establish and confirm the point that's already made. So as I said before, Peter is showing us something about an approach to scripture. And so I want to take this up with you here again today. And in this passage of Scripture, I think, as I said before, we'll be able to see the nature of Scripture and its proper use by the godly. And the first thing that I want you to see then is this. What is the Scripture? Notice what we see here in verse uh, 15 in the second part where where Peter says this. "Even even Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him. Did you see that? Peter writes about the wisdom given unto Paul. Well, the first thing I want you to understand by way of the scripture is that the scripture is, number one, a revelation given by God to man. It's a revelation that's given. That when the scripture, when the writers of scripture write, they are not writing out of things that are in their own head, so to speak. True, they are the instruments that God uses, but everything that comes to them comes to them by way of the work of the Holy Spirit upon their soul. We see over and over again the scripture making this point. That's exactly what Peter said in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Notice again what Peter says. Just turn back a page or two. Peter says this. Again, we also have a, a, a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well to take heed as a light that shines unto a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. And he says in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, this is the idea of revelation. It's the idea of God making known his will through the instrumentality of men. Peter says, holy men. And this gives us something of an esteem for the writers of Scripture. This is why I think that that Peter says about Paul. He speaks about Paul as his beloved brother. 
You see, these men that, that have written scripture, these men that God has gifted the church with, that have given to us the word of God, they're precious to us, are they not? There's the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, and they're precious to us, but Paul is precious to us as well. We don't worship these men, but we thank God for these men. And so again, this man Paul, this man Peter, over and over again, the writers of Scripture, these men are very precious to us. They were holy men moved by the Spirit of God, beloved in the church. And so again, what we're seeing here is that the, by way of the nature of Scripture, Scripture is a revelation from God given to man. It's interesting to see that the biblical writers seem to be very much aware of this. We find this in a number of places. I think, again, of a, of a passage of Scripture like we read this morning. Notice again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And Paul says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual and here's the point. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Understand that the Scriptures are revelation given from God through men chosen by God. And the natural man receives not these things. Again, the nature of Scripture is that of a revelation. Paul was aware of this in his preaching and teaching. In Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 and 12, Paul speaks about his gospel, the gospel that he preached. And he says this in verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that, number one, by way of the nature of Scripture, Scripture in its nature is a revelation given from heaven, given from God to you. And aren't you glad, again, that God is so concerned with you that he gives you a book and in that book, he makes known the way of salvation. And in that book, he focuses on his dear son, Jesus Christ. And in that book, he calls you to trust in that one, Jesus Christ. Oh, have you done this? Have you listened? Have you obeyed this revelation that God has given of himself and his word? So the first thing I want you to see then, as I said before, that the, that the scriptures are a revelation from God. The second thing I want you to see from, from this passage of Scripture we're looking at is that the Scriptures are not only a revelation from God, but the Scriptures are a revelation of the nature of God. Well, this should become clear as we've already considered the idea of God's long-suffering. You see, there's a sense in which whenever we study the nature of God, the person of God, the being of God, and I hope you've done that. Where was I at? Was I here? I'm trying to think. Oh, it was, on our, it was on our Sunday evening service, I think, the last time I was here. And we were talking about the, uh, the nature of the Trinity. And one of the things that we looked at is uh, some of the quotes that have been made by, by men of the past in studying the nature of God. And, one of the th and some of the things that these men have said were things along these lines, that nothing so expands the soul. Nothing so, again, uh, uh, brings development of the whole soul other than a study of God. I think it was one man who said that no, no society can rise any higher than its understanding of God. Low views of God means low views of man. Exalted views of God gives to man his right and proper perspective. There you are, each and every one of you, made in the image of God, having the dignity that belongs to that image, yet in the same time, through the revelation of Scripture, you have the key to understand that depravity that plagues your heart and my heart. Oh, what a creature man is. Like God in so many ways, like, like a devil in so many ways. What's the answer to this? You see, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ itself, isn't it? 
It's that great message that God has given in the word. That if a sinner come to understand his or her sin and look to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, there is eternal life. And so you see the gospel, the, the, the Bible is not only a revelation from God, it's a revelation of the nature of God. And aren't you glad that God loves sinners? And aren't you glad that God is willing to send his son in order that sinners might die? Excuse me, in order that sinners might not die. And aren't you glad again that God does everything in order to bring his people to himself? Oh, I hope and I pray you see in the word of God this wonderful person of Jesus Christ. I've never seen a picture of Jesus Christ, but I've seen his face drawn in scripture. Oh, what a beautiful face it is. There was Moses in Exodus chapter 34, not able to see the face of God. You remember what God said to him? No, you can't see my face. I'll show you my back parts. We come to the New Testament and what do we read? We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, you see the nature of God revealed in the scripture. Aren't you glad that this is what God has given to us? How we thank God that again, that the, that the scripture is then not only a revelation from God, but also it's a revelation of the nature of God. The third thing I want you to see is this, is that, is that the scripture is a revelation of the, of the way of salvation. Notice what Paul says, excuse me, notice what Peter says here again in verse 16. He says this, I'm sorry, verse 15. Um, uh, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him. According to the wisdom given unto him. Wisdom. What's wisdom? Well, many of us are aware of the distinction that's often made between wisdom and knowledge. We're aware that knowledge is oftentimes understood as the accumulation of facts, uh, the bringing together of facts. But wisdom is little more than that. Wisdom is the right and proper application of those facts. We might say it this way when it comes to the scripture, that uh, scriptural knowledge would be an accumulation of the facts of the Bible, but that the wisdom that we are called to would be the right application of those facts. And it's the right application of those facts, if I can put it that way, that mean, that brings about that wisdom that leads to salvation. This is why Paul was able to say to Timothy, Timothy, you have known the scriptures from your childhood, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul's saying to Timothy. You know the scriptures. There's the facts. And they're able to make you wise unto salvation. There's their end. How do they do that? Through faith which is in Jesus Christ. You see, it's not only the scriptures, it's the scriptures as they reveal Christ to the soul. I come back to this point again. Oh, you see, have you embraced Christ? You see, we thank God that we can walk to and fro with a Bible in our hands, don't we? We thank God that we can live in houses where we can have as many of these as we can afford. We thank God that we can be seen down the street, walk down the street and maybe just be seen as a little odd for having a Bible with us but not be attacked for it. How we thank God for that. But you see, can I say it this way? It's not enough that you have the Bible in your hand. You must put together the truths of the Bible in such a way as to see Christ. The scriptures are able to make you wise in the salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Here is the right placement of the facts. Here's the right emphasis being given. It all comes to rest on the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see here then again that, the, that, the, that what we see in the scripture is this, this wisdom of God. And what are the scriptures? They are the way that God has ordained that we might be saved. Well, one more thing that we see about the, uh, about the scripture. We've seen that they are a revelation from God. We've seen that they are a revelation of the nature of God. They're the revelation of the salvation of God, again, through faith in Jesus Christ. But the fourth thing I want you to see about the scripture in their nature is that the scripture, the scriptures are a revelation 
of the deep things of God. Now, again, I, I, I struggle with that word a little bit. Uh, sometimes that word, I, I don't always like it, but it's a true word and we have to use it. We can use another word, but it wouldn't clear things up anymore. I'd probably have to do more explaining. And that would be the scriptures reveal to us the profundities of God, the profundities of God. What are the profundities? What are the deep things? <laughs> to be profound has the idea of having depth to it. But the reason why I, I think that the word profundity can be used here is because one of the things that you may or may not be familiar with, particularly in, a, in a, an evangelical uh, embrace of the scriptures, and particularly an evangelical and reformed embrace of the scriptures, is that you might know a statement something like this, that we believe that the scriptures are perpescuous. The scriptures have perpiscuity. And of course, what's that word perpiscuity? The word perpiscuity means that the scriptures have a clarity to them. That there are things taught in the scriptures that can be easily understood even by children, even by babes. But while there is a clarity in the scripture, there is also a profundity in the scripture as well. And this is what Paul, this is what Peter's talking about. Notice what we see here in verse 16. As also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to be understood. Hard to be understood. Well, oftentimes at this point we hear something of, a, of, a, something of a, a, a point of humor which says this. Aren't you glad that Peter said some of the, aren't you glad that Peter uh, said that these things are hard to be understood? Because if Peter had a hard time with, Pete, with uh, Paul's writings, then we can understand why we sometimes have a hard time with, uh, with Paul's writings. I don't know if that's really where Peter is going to. I think what Peter is talking about is this, that through the, the Apostle Paul and through the revelation that God has given to him, there are truly profound realities that have been made known to us, truly deep truths of God. When you stop and think of a passage of Scripture like, like John chapter 14, uh, verse 20, uh, where we see the Lord Jesus Christ uh, speaking and teaching, and he says this, he says, I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. I am in my Father. Here we have approached now that mystery of the triune God. That reality where God is one, and yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if that weren't enough, we we're also introduced into a second profound truth, our union with Christ. I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. These are deep things of God. And I hope and I pray that these are not just intellectual categories in your head. I hope and I pray that these are true experiences that you are now, again, enjoying as a Christian. These deep things of God. You know, again, we see this in a number of places. Daniel spoke about these deep things. There was Daniel giving uh, the interpretation of the dream of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember what Daniel says in J Daniel chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 22. He says this about God. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Again, we've already seen this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where, where uh, uh, Paul says this in verse 10, But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep, can we say it? Yea, the profound things of God. And when we come to these profound things of God, these depths, how do we respond to them? Well, I hope and I pray when you come to these profundities that you respond to them in the same way that the Apostle Paul did. you remember how Paul responds to the deep things of God? There it was in Romans 11, verse 33. And what does he say? He says, oh, the depth. There's the profundity. 
of the riches and of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. What's Paul saying? That there is a depth, there is a profundity to this scripture, to this revelation that God has given. That it leaves me in awe and worship. Have you been led there through the understanding of the Word of God? I hope and I pray that you have. You see this revelation that God has given, the nature of Scripture. It is again that revelation that God has given that reveal his will, that reveal his nature, that reveal again these deep things. And so the way that the godly makes use of them, as I said before, notice what Peter does. He he takes the scripture and he uses it to make the point that he is developing. There is something by way of the long-suffering of God. And so what will Peter do? He'll go to this biblical writer and that biblical writer in order to make the point. In other words, he brings together the full range of biblical testimony. Learn to do that. Oh, you see, find yourself, if I can put it this way, find that promise that God is making to you that you need to depend on. And then again, seek out other witnesses in the word of God and let the word of God confirm itself to you over and over and over again. And so Peter making use of the scripture, again, the, the nature of scripture. One more thing that I want you to see, however, about the nature of scripture is this, is that the nature of scripture by way of its witnesses are multiple, but by way of its witness is singular. I'll say that again, that the scripture by way of its witnesses is multiple, but by way of its witness is singular. What do I mean? Well, Peter can say, what does Paul say? Peter can talk about the prophets of old. And what we're seeing here is that there is a multiplicity of witnesses concerning the truths of God. But the message is one. And that message centers on God's purposes to save sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point. That is the singular message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, I think if you go to that passage of scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, there's a sense in which Paul is encapsulating the, t- the entire purpose of the scripture. The scriptures are given to make you wise unto salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, you have the scripture with you. But have you, but have you made a right use of the scripture? You have the scriptures with you. But have you seen Jesus Christ in them? You have the scriptures with you. But have you seen your own sin made known in the pages of scripture? And have you seen, even more importantly, the remedy that Jesus Christ is to that sin? Oh, you see here the the nature of Scripture and how the godly make use of it. Well, the next thing that I want to bring to your attention then is not only uh, the nature of Scripture and how the godly make use of it. The next thing I want to show to you is is the nature of Scripture and how the ungodly make use of it. The nature of Scripture and how the ungodly make use of it. Well, where do we see this in the passage? Well, let's go back to the text in front of us and notice what we see here in verse 16. As also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. I want you to see a number of things here. First, I want you to see, number one, the description of the ungodly here. They are unlearned and they are unstable. Secondly, I want you to see the activity of the ungodly here. They rest or they twist or they distort or they torture the scripture. Third thing I want you to see is the end of the ungodly. And the end of the ungodly from this passage of scripture is destruction. Well, let's take a look at each one of these things here. And the first thing I want you to notice here is the, is the, the description of the ungodly here. And notice again what Peter says. He says uh, again in verse 16, uh, which they that are unlearned and unstable. 
A description of the ungodly is given in these two words, to be unlearned and to be unstable. Neither one of these are very flattering terms, to be sure. And I don't think that Peter is involved in slander. I don't think that Peter is just trying to, to demean uh, the individuals uh, who, are, again, are making the wrong use of the Scripture. I think that Peter is saying something by way of, a, by way of a, a, a technical, if I can almost say it that way, description of unbelievers in the Word of God. You see, the, the, the unlearned and the unstable, this is not a description of some kind of an intellectual deficiency nor some kind of a psychological imbalance, un, unlearned and unstable. We, 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 we come across people like that, that just kind of like unlearned, and they're, they're unlearned because they've chosen not to learn. But Peter's not going along those lines. We've, we've met unstable people, people that we have to walk on eggshells around because in their psychological state, they're so, they're so prone to quick shifts. We don't know where, we're, where we stand with them. Peter's not talking about that. To be unlearned and to be unstable in the biblical sense of the word is essentially this. An unlearned man is that man who is not taught by the Spirit of God. Who is it that teaches us? As God uses men to make known the revel his revelation to humanity through the instrumentality of the biblical writers... And God uses human instruments to teach the people of God. The true teacher, the true inspirer of Scripture is the Spirit of God Himself. And we see this in a number of places. We've already seen it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's the Spirit that teaches the deep things of God. I think there in, in 1 John, um, in 1 John chapter 27, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, John says this, But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, John is not undermining biblical or pastoral ministry. He's not undermining the gift of a pastor teacher. He's not doing it in any sense of the word. But what he is laying emphasis on is that the true teacher in the church of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. And so for a man to be unlearned is a man, as in the words of, of Jude, in the epistle of Jude, is a man who has not the Spirit. To have not the Spirit is to be untaught of the Spirit. And when Peter speaks about these men who are unlearned, that's what he's referring to. He's not referring to men who have, uh, or individuals who have some kind of an intellectual disability. That's not the point. The point is that these men are not taught by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who is the teacher in the church. We see this again in John 14 and John 16. John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And so what do we see here? That these men who are unlearned are men who are not taught by the spirit of God. Having not the spirit of God, they know not the truth of God. And so this is the first way that Peter describes them. He's not slandering them. He's making a true spiritual evaluation on their souls. They are not taught of the spirit of God. But secondly, he describes them as unstable. Again, this is not a psychological deficiency. This is not a man who is just uh, on a whim's no notice of flying off to him. That's not what he's talking about here. The idea of stability is related to the embrace and the holding on to and the incorporation of biblical truth in all the life. It gives stability to the life. It's what the Word of God does. When your friends are tossed to and fro and, and thrown into this kind of thing and that kind of thing and they see in you as a child of God Maturing in the faith. 
Having the scripture deep down, not just in the head, but through all the parts of the soul. There's something of a strength and stability there. And this is what Paul means when he, when he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. There's that instability. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul says this in Galatians again to those who should have known better, who should have been established in the faith. He says this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you. You see, this is the thing. They're removed. There's that instability. They heard Paul preach the gospel and they, they adhered to it. Somebody else came down the line and they were starting to drift away into that. And Paul says this shouldn't be. You see, there is a stability that biblical truth taught by the Spirit of God formed within the soul. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Oh, that the heart be established with grace. The grace of the word of God, the grace of the, of the nature of Scripture, the, all of these things brought to us. Well, that's the description of these men. As I said before, it's not a, uh, you know, Peter's not slandering these men. He's not making a, an intellectual comment on them nor a psychological comment on them. He is giving a true spiritual description of them. They are not taught by the Spirit of God. And again, because of that, there is an instability of the soul that is seen in their lives. Well, that's their nature. What about their action? Well, their action is here on the pages of Scripture. Notice again what Peter says. Again, um, and again, I, I have to comment here. Notice what he says. In which some things are hard to be understood, in which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. Some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. Two things to note here. First of all is this. Notice, and I think I touched upon this just briefly before. Notice, Peter doesn't say that all things that Paul writes are hard to be understood. He says some things. And that's important. Because as I said before, the gospel is so beautifully simple that the youngest here among us today can hear the gospel and understand it and be saved. You don't have to be confounded by some of the profundities. The clarity is there. God loves you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you. And again, there he is offering himself to you. But the profundities are there as well. And so again, what we're seeing here is that not everything that Paul wrote is hard to understand. Some of the things are. We readily admit that. But again, Peter isn't kind of so much moving in that direction right now. What Peter is, going, is doing now is he's gone from a description of these men to the activity of these men. What do they do? They rest the scripture, the old King James word. Newer translations, they distort or they twist the scripture. I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard, I think some of you will know this illustration. I don't know if you've ever heard the sound of twisting metal. When metal is twisted, it often makes a sound. And I think when the scriptures are twisted, they often make a sound that doesn't sound right. Have you ever come across certain presentations of the Bible that just sound kind of funny? Just sound a little bit off? The word here for twist and the rest is even, is even a little more graphic than that. And the word pictures an individual set on those old-fashioned instruments of torture, the rack. And you know what the rack was used for? The rack would stretch you out to make you say things that you probably wouldn't say in any other context. And that's what these men do with the scripture. They torture the scripture to make the scripture say what they don't say. 
This is a very challenging thing. Because here we see now, as I said before, how the ungodly use Scripture. They twist the Scripture. They distort the Scripture. This is what the false teachers have done in chapter 2. These men, again, they were using the Scripture, again, in order to advance their own cause. What makes these men so reprehensible in the sight of God? What makes these men so reprehensible that the only way that God can illustrate the judgment that's going to come upon them is with Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah is only an example of what's going to ultimately happen to, 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 to false teachers. May God give us grace. You see how we need the Spirit of God. The scoffers do the same thing. Well, the, 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 the scoffers, in one sense, what do they do with the Scripture? They, they dismiss it. Uh, the, 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 uh, the false teachers, what do they do? They distort it. But what do the righteous do? They give deference to it. What's the word deference mean? It means to give authority to or to, to submit to the authority of one, to defer to the Scriptures. To defer to the Scriptures. There you are in your decision-making process. And the Scriptures come into your mind. You defer to the Scriptures or, you or do you disregard the Scripture? May God give us grace. And so you see these men, their, their, their nature, the men, these men, their, their actions, and now we have these men and their end. What's their end? It's very sad here, isn't it? Notice what Peter says again here. They, the unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You see, these men present to us a very sad illustration of a man who can have an open Bible in his hand and end up in hell. It's unnerving, isn't it? They twist the, they twist the scriptures. They don't just blow them off. They, they, they twist the scriptures. They have an open Bible in front of them. And where do they end up? They end up in hell. And as I said before, it's, it's unsettling, it's unnerving. How we thank God for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. How we thank God for the keeping power of the Good Shepherd. How we thank God for the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. How we thank God that He is able to keep that which we've committed unto Him. Because if it were left to us, where would we be? But how the church of Jesus Christ rejoices in her Savior. How each one of the people of God thank God that that Savior is their Savior, this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, we've seen then a description of these men, the activities of these men, and the end of these men. But did you notice here what, what Peter says? And we come back now to the nature of Scripture. You notice what Peter says here? The unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other Scriptures. The other Scriptures. What's Peter doing here? As I said before, Peter isn't so much giving us a formal study in what's known as bibliology. He's not giving us a formal study in what we might call systematics. He's not teaching us how to, to do theology, so to speak. But there's a sense in which everything that's necessary to the doing of theology is in this passage of Scripture. We understand what the Word of God teaches by way of its categories. It's a revelation of the nature of God. And we seek, again, those complementary witnesses within the range of Scripture. And then again, we bring them together and we understand them in such a way that we don't distort them, but we submit to their authority. And again, what is Peter saying here? You see, Paul writes, and what he writes has the same authority as the other scriptures. You see, this New Testament writer is saying of another New Testament writer that what he writes is Holy Scripture. You see, these men write with an awareness. 
They know and they see what the Spirit of God is doing. All this, this, this word that God has given to us, this lovely book, this holy book, the Bible that God has given to us. And so this is what we see then, the, uh, the nature of Scripture and, and the godly use of it, the nature of Scripture and the ungodly use of it. Well, what do we, what do, we do with this by way of application? And I want to apply uh, this sermon along the two tracks that we've been trying to follow. Uh, number one, if I can do the theological application first, how do, we, how do we apply a passage of Scripture like this? How should we then approach the Scripture? And again, this is, a little bit, this is with something of, a, of the theological emphasis. Well, number one, we should approach the Scripture with reverence and humility. Reverence and humility. Again, this is, this is all caught up in the way that we see the three responses. Uh, the response of the scoffer, the response of the false teacher, but the response of the godly. Let me repeat them to you again. What does the scoffer do with the word of God? He dismisses it. Where's the promise of his coming? You've been saying that for how long? Ever since I knew you, that's all you talk about, is the promise of his coming. And where's he at? They dismiss the word of God. The false teachers, what do they do? They distort the word of God. You know how they distort it. It's almost something of a... It's almost something of a joke now. You know, give me a thousand dollars and you'll get ten thousand in return. And this is why these men, as I said before, are so despicable and so liable to the judgment of God. Using the holy things for profane. You talk about needing to be thrown out of the temple. And so you have the scoffers who dismiss, you have the false teachers who distort. But what do the godly do? They give deference to the word of God. Deference is the condition of submitting to the authority in place, of submitting to to the superior uh, authority of the scripture. Deference implies a yielding or submitting to the judgment of a recognized superior. Here, the superior is God as he's revealed in his word. So that's the way that we that's the way that we uh, respond to the scripture. We we approach them with reverence and humility. Another way in which we respond to the scripture, however, is we respond to the scriptures in the same way that God does. Ever thought about that? Have you, have you ever thought along those lines? How does God, what does God feel about his word? Well, he makes it clear. In Psalm 138, verse 2, uh, the psalm, God through the psalmist says this, uh, or, or David says this, uh, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. There's that, there's those elements in the nature of God. But listen to what the psalmist goes on to say. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Our newer translations bring these two things together, the word of God and the name of God. That the word and the name of God are exalted above all things. Do you approach the scripture that way? Is the scripture your highest point of reference? Is the scripture, again, the, the, the grand, uh, uh, the glorious spectacles through which you view all of life? So again, we, we approach the scriptures then as God does. We also approach the scriptures the way that Christ did. How did Christ approach the scriptures? Can I say it this way? That Christ approached the scriptures in order to preach himself. There he was in Luke chapter 24. And what does he do? He goes into the scriptures to Moses and the prophets and the writings. Why? To show in all places where Jesus Christ is spoken of. Jesus Christ used the scriptures to show himself. You and I use the scriptures to see Christ. You see, the scriptures are given to make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the last way that we use the scripture. We use it as Timothy did. We use them as a means whereby 
we might be made wise unto salvation. So that's in one sense the theological application of this passage. Well, what about the contextual application of this passage? Since again the context here is, is the long suffering of God, since the context here is God's great patience in the face of our provocation, how do we use uh, the, how do we use this in a contextual way? What I want to say then is this. Let us learn to bring together, as I've said before, the whole range of biblical testimony to adore God for his long-suffering and saving patience toward each and every one of us. Use the whole range of Scripture to better see and adore God Almighty and his Son whom he has sent for you. But secondly, let me say this. Since those who misuse the Scripture are described as unlearned and unstable, let the Spirit of God produce within you a true spiritual wisdom that can be a light to all those that are around you. We live in a dark age, a morally and spiritually dark age, and you can shine as a light. Be that light. Be established in the Scriptures. Let the Scriptures sink down within your soul. Let it so transform you that you become that light that others can see in a dark place and say, there's something in the Word of God in that one. And there's something I want to see in here. But also, let the Spirit of God develop in you a real depth of spiritual character that can be a support to those around you who are stumbling because of their instability through this life. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if in your stumbling about, you came to rest on something solid. You can be that for your friends. In a secondary way, because ultimately you point to Jesus Christ. And having been settled on Christ, you and your friends will be able to endure all the storms of life. What a passage of scripture here. Peter speaking about this wonderful element in the nature of God, his long-suffering, and giving to us something of a precursor to a theology lesson. How do you use the scriptures, my friend? Don't distort them. Don't dismiss them. Give full reverential deference to them. Let us pray.